This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that examines contemporary issues in a unique spiritual perspective based on the principles of the Baha'i Faith. If you want information on the Baha'i Faith specifically, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I've played several shows with Ray Estes a Baha'i from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, who came to the Baha'i faith from a born-again Christian background. He told me a miraculous story that I wanted him to share on this show. It involves an incredible experience that includes his mother, who had passed away when he was six years old. Here is Ray beginning his story. I became a Baha'i on the 7th uh, of June, and this took place on July 31st. Uh-huh. So it was only a little over a month after I became a Baha'i that I had this experience. Okay. And it really reinforced my faith from there on. Mm. Well, I, I think I'll begin by just giving a basic idea of uh, how um, my life unfolded. Uh, as a young man, I had uh, not been particularly religious, but as a boy, I had been particularly interested in in Bible and I had a good history of uh, God's dealing with humanity, particularly the story of the Old Testament and the stories in the Old Testament that basically uh, grounded me in a love of Israel and its history and its stories. But teenage years uh, took me off into the wild side. And then one day I came to realize that I did not really want to be the person I was becoming and I wanted to truly take a stand for what was good, right, and beautiful in life. make a long story short, I went from being a Lutheran without much interest in religion um, to suddenly wanting to know more. I even thought about becoming a Lutheran minister, but that quickly faded. Why is that? Um, because I went to a um, university that was a Lutheran university to check into it. <clears throat> While I was sitting in the ante room, and this is not to say this is about all Lutherans or anything, but it just so happened I was sitting in there, a group of youth that were being interviewed for possible admission, and I started asking them why they were there, and when they gave answers like, you don't have to work hard, <laughs> oh boy, uh, there's good money, and my parents want me to do this, in other words, nobody gave a good answer. I got up and walked out and said, I don't want to be a part of a clergy that's made up of youth that have this kind of attitude. It actually discouraged me, and I went back to my wild life, actually. Oh, oh really? Yeah, I, I didn't. It was a momentary desire to do. But eventually, I did bring myself around to where I went to a church, and at this church, I, I went there to find hypocrites, and instead I became a born-again Christian. Mm-hmm. It was a fundamentalist, uh, evangelical-type Christian church. And uh, I had uh, a wonderful experience. I mean, I I felt the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I changed and turned my life around on a dime, the power of God in my heart. 
I felt that I could uh, overcome my weaknesses and frailties and and in fact uh, I had a a wonderful time Mm. I started studying and reading scripture I started delving into the the uh, understanding of of the New Testament in in a very uh, devoted way, mm-hmm. but I had uh, no one to actually teach me how I was supposed to read the Bible. I read it for myself. To make a long story short, I came up with understanding that led me to believe that the voice that spoke to Moses, he said he was the I, that it was the voice of the I am or the Word of God, and I began to think, well, that voice that spoke to Moses was what was speaking through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And um, I started seeing Jesus as the voice of the I am. And at one point, uh, uh, Jesus mentioned that he had been before Abraham was I am. Mm-hmm. And that really did it for me. I realized that the I am was speaking through Jesus of Nazareth and that that was the divine part, the word of God. And uh, so when it says, I am the way, the truth, the life, it's speaking of the power of the Spirit of God. The Word of God is the way, the truth, and the life that God wants us to lead to bring ourselves to God. Mm-hmm. So I, but I was starting to have trouble because people at church had never heard anyone speak of it this way. And they became alarmed because what I was saying is that Jesus and Christ were not necessarily one and the same thing. One was the power and spirit of God, and one was the vehicle by which that voice was heard by man. What did the church believe as far as differentiation between Jesus and Christ? That there was none, that Jesus, okay. that God was flesh and blood. Okay. And I came to realize, no, Jesus said God is a spirit and must be worshipped in spirit. And I realized that the spirit and power of God was speaking through Jesus of Nazareth, but that God was not flesh and blood, just like God was not a bush on Mount Carmel, or not Mount Carmel, but Mount Sinai, that uh, that was a bush that was utilized by the voice, but the voice was the voice of the word and power of God, but that uh, it didn't make the bush God. We don't go up on Mount Sinai looking for God being a bush. Neither did I just like was God saying he was flesh and blood. He used flesh and blood. He used the bush. Then the clinching thing that really did it was uh, there's a statement that says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. And I thought, my goodness, that's saying that that voice, the I am, has been to other folds or other communities and they they have heard the voice. Would that explain Buddhism would that explain Hinduism, Zoroastrianism, etc.? And I begin to think, my goodness, God has been sending his voice to all the world, and therefore all people have heard the word of God, each according to his own cultural differences and language, but essentially justice, mercy, kindness, love, truthfulness are the essential teachings of the Spirit all over the planet Earth. Mm. Well, when I came back to church at the age of 24 years old saying that this is what I thought, let's just say they were not happy and they excommunicated me. Mm -hmm. And I wandered around a while until one day a young woman said, well, you know, your problem is you're you're really a Baha'i. I said, well, what's a Baha'i? I never heard of one. And invited me to a meeting and there I became a Hearing for the first time the idea there's only one God, we call him many different names, have different thoughts, ideas, but there's really only one God of justice, mercy, and truth, and uh, that the whole world can know that one God, and then that all the religions are essentially from the spirit and power of God, and 
that we are, in fact, uh, worshiping the same deity, even though we use different language and we have different forms and different practices. What matters is does the spirit and power of love, unity, justice, and mercy appear in the human heart, and where that is, there God is also. And so um, the final one is there's only one race, the human race. I heard this, and just to make a long it took me five days, but I found myself saying, yes, indeed, I am a Baha'i. Now, the story I'm about to tell picks up at this point. I was a Baha'i for the first time in uh, June, the night of June the 7th, uh, going over into June the 8th, because it happened around midnight, that I gave my heart, mind, and soul to this understanding that God's spirit and power was once again speaking to mankind in this age, calling us to spiritualize the planet Earth and to unify the hearts and souls of all humanity. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> I uh, was thrilled with it, And uh, but I had to change some of my thinking because previous to this, I always thought that when somebody died, they stayed dead until the day of resurrection, and then they would be resurrected, and then they would come back alive. Mm. The Baha'i teachings say, no, we, we really never die. Mm. We let go of our training wheels called the body. We let go, we, we leave uh, and, and no longer have a need of a, of a physical form, but the energy of the soul and the spirit continues on after death. In a sense, resurrection is resurrecting from the mortal way of thinking to the inspiring spiritual way of being and when we do that, we resurrect from the old to the new. Mm. And as Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. In a sense, let the dead be resurrected by the power of the voice of God, the word of God, calling us to new life. So that's mm. the greater resurrection. Mm -hmm. uh, this struck home to me because uh, for, I, for the first time, I began to realize, well, then when Jesus spoke to Moses and, and Elijah on the mountain with the disciples, he was talking to the reality. They, uh, Jesus had not yet, quote-unquote, resurrected, so they were resurrected before that. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of times of spirits appearing, so I, I came to realize that this was true, that uh, our reality goes on after death and in fact influences us. The positive souls can influence us, inspire us in ways, and we can pray for them and, and uh, actually help them in their journey. Well, this was a new understanding for me, and I, uh, I was kind of amazed by it, but I thought it was also quite beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, at the time, I was working as a shoe salesman in the Bon Marche in Eugene, Oregon. And it was July the 31st came around, this one month after I'd become a Baha'i. And um, there every, it was a hot day, so everybody was gone. There was no customers around. And so everybody left me alone in the shoe department. And as I was standing there, it began to dawn on me because my daughter's birthday was July the 31st, which happened to be the very day that my mother had died when I was six years old. Mm. And uh, I didn't know much about my mother. I remembered her, but through the eyes of a six-year-old, and I'd always been curious, but my father would never speak of how she died or what happened. He just never wanted to talk about it. 
So um, it uh, so happened that I was standing there, I was thinking, my goodness, is it possible my mother's not dead, that she's really alive and and is absurd, can, can know me and be aware of me? And uh, I remember, my goodness, this is the 20th anniversary of my mother's passing. Mm. And uh, I thought this was very interesting that I was thinking this on the very day that she had passed away 20 years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was thinking this, I thought, well, I'll, I'll talk to my mother. So I mm. started to uh, say, Mom, are you there? Mm-hmm. Uh, can you hear me? Are you actually aware of me? I want you to know I will try to stop thinking of you as a dead person and think of you as a living soul who loves me and that I love. Mm. And uh, then I I said to her, you know, I find it strange talking to you, but is it possible that you've had influence on me? Have you been praying for me on your side? And now it's time for me to pray for you from this side. And have your prayers been for my well-being? And are you partly responsible for guiding my life in such a strange way to become a spiritual person, particularly now to be a Baha'i? And... uh, while I was saying this, two ladies entered the shoe department. Mm. So I said to my mother, well, I've got to go now, but uh, I will try to continue this conversation. And I just want to say I love you, and I will now always think of you as a living person. So, But i got to go to work. <laughs> so I walked over to these two ladies, and I said to them, so what are you doing out on such a hot day, you know? They said, well, we're on vacation we're on vacation from Alaska and we're visiting here in Eugene, Oregon and um, we found, realized we didn't bring the right shoes and we need some new shoes, some sandals so I said, well, of course I have a chair and I'll see what I can do for you he said, Alaska I said, well, you know, I used to live in Alaska and he said, oh yeah I said, yes, I live in a little town called Cordova, Alaska and I said, you probably wouldn't even know about it even if you lived in Alaska because it was only a village of about 300 people there were no roads to it the only way in was by boat. Mm. And so I said, but uh, uh, I, I did live there. And the lady said, well, that's interesting. She says, because uh, actually I lived in Cordova, Alaska at oh, one my. time. And she said, when were you there? And I said, well, it just so happens it was 20 years ago. And uh, she thought for a minute and she said, uh, well, you know, it's interesting because actually I was in Cordova, Alaska 20 years ago. And she said, so why did you leave? And I said, well, my mother died there. And my father was so heartbroken, he didn't want to stay. And so we brought my mother's body back to Oregon. And uh, and uh, he left and never spoke of it again. And she said, oh, she says, uh, well, how did your mother die? He says, well, I don't know, really. I remember walking into this building with her, the hospital, and... Uh, she uh, went in there and she just never came back out mm-hmm. and uh, I never was told exactly what happened and uh, she said oh that's interesting because she said uh, your mother wasn't a tall dark haired woman was she oh my god and I said well actually she stood five foot eleven she had cold black hair green eyes and she was a striking figure so if you saw her, you would probably know her. He says, well, young man, I did know your mother. As a matter of fact, I'm the last living person to be with her when she died. Oh, my God. And I said, 
<laughs> you're, you're kidding. Uh, I, and she says, well, let me explain. She says, you see, this building they called the hospital wasn't really a hospital. It was a three-story building, and the doctor wasn't a real surgeon. He was kind of like a medical person. Um, and they had a nurse there, nurses there. And uh, during the summertime, it was a fishing village, and the fishermen would bring their fish in. So during that period of time, they had to have some sort of medical service there. And uh, I was a student who spent my summer at the cannery that was established there to can the fish as the fishermen brought it in. And I earned my way through college that way. But the building itself was three floors, and the first floor was where they uh, examined the patients and they dispensed uh, pharmaceuticals and things. The second floor was a makeshift operating room and room for patients. And the third floor was rented out to college students uh, to stay there during this season, and I was renting on the top floor one of the rooms. Mm-hmm. I worked at the cannery, she said, from, from the swing shift from 4 to midnight. And I was coming down the stairs on my way to work when this tall, dark-haired woman walked into the room with her husband and two little boys. Oh, my God. And she says, now, I wouldn't have remembered this except a strange thing happened. She walked up to the counter, and then she said, uh, I, and she jumped back from the counter. I'm, she held out her hand and said, I'm going to die here. This is my place of death. And it was so shocking, the whole room froze. She was so frightened and, and confident and truly that she knew something. And, of course, no one would have thought anything about it except she did die there. But at the time, everybody said, no, no, it's a minor problem. The doctor will be able to take care of it. It's not a big deal. They reassured her, and she said, I went on to the where I worked. And were you one of those two boys? I was the one of the two boys. And did you remember her doing that? No. Okay. It never registered with me that she said this. Uh, all I remember, I, see, I can see her standing there, but I can't remember anything that took place. I'm sure my father whisked me out of there pretty fast. But um, apparently then she said the next day they operated on her, but the doctor's knife slipped. It was uh, with a female problem she had, and he cut into her intestine. Mm. And the poison, peritonitis, I believe it's called, set in. And they didn't have any way to counteract it. They had no way to stop the, the infection. Oh my God. And so they put her in a room, and she said, uh, we, we all understood in the building that she was dying. She was the only patient in the room. And so she said, every night when I would go to my work, I would stop by and, and visit with her a little bit, because she was dying, but she had several days to go through this. And then on my, when I came in after midnight, I would stop side. And I said, this is the phenomenal thing. She started out, talking but after a while I could hear singing when I would she would sing Mm. songs of spiritual nature she would pray and what it was she was constantly saying oh God take care of my boys Mm. her constant concern was what was going to happen to her boys part of it was she knew that my father had been in World War II and, and, and had been gone a lot 
and I didn't. We didn't spend a lot of time with him in our early. And she was the one, and with, along with my grandmother, who spent most of the time with us. So she was kind of aware that if she was going to die, she was leaving two boys in the hands of almost a stranger. Mm. And uh, he had even, after the war, had gone to, to uh, Alaska by himself. Had been there for a while when he sent for us to come and join him. And we had only joined him about a month earlier than this. So mm. the time of being with my father was very short. Mm-hmm. And I and she said she was so concerned about the welfare of her sons. So that this then lasted. And she said it was phenomenal because she just was constant. She was just begging God to please take care of my boys. Mm. Well, she says this one night as I was coming in after midnight... Your father came down the stairs and said, we passed on the stairs. He said, would you stay with her? It's getting close. I just need to get some rest, and then I'll come back. But if you just stay with her for a little while. So she said, I went up to her room. Now she could not sing anymore. She couldn't Mm. speak anymore. But her mouth was still moving. Oh, my God. And she was still expressing herself silently. And I went in, and I held her hand, she said, and stayed with her. And then I started getting so tired and so I started getting sleepy and just as I got up to leave I heard a sound in her throat and I realized she just had passed right in front of me so I went to the nurse and I said "Um, I believe uh, Harriet has just died and Mm. so they then called your father at where he was at my father did tell me this one story he said I was asleep when your mother appeared above me she bent over and kissed me and said goodbye Herb the phone rang woke me up out of this experience Mm. and they said your wife has just passed oh my god so that's the only that was the first mysterious thing that took place is my father's only story about my mother's passing is that she kissed him before she left Mm. and um, uh, then the lady said to me uh I can only think that the very fact that I'm sharing this with you, and she says it's it's causing goosebumps to sure. go up and down my body. And of course, I was starting to sob. And I said, "You don't understand." I said, "I just talked to her, mm-hmm. and I just asked her if she had anything to do with what was happening to my life, because mm-hmm. I realized I was having a rather unusual and extraordinary life for such a young person." And then we both held each other and oh cried. And I told her how much I had not known anything about my mother's passing. And that for her to come in when I told her that this was the 20th anniversary of that day that she died. Oh, my God. And that here we find ourselves in Eugene, Oregon, meeting and sharing this truth that I had no way of knowing anything about. Needless to say, it was an extraordinary experience. And it really strengthened my faith in life after death. Mm-hmm in the power of those uh, who pass on that we love that their love can transcend the difference in in uh, shall we say dimension mm-hmm. and the idea that we actually do leave our bodies but our spiritual reality that energy called the soul goes on and goes to in the Baha'i faith it goes on to many worlds in for eternity just goes on and on and God has worlds for us to mm. to go through and develop and to become more conscious and more aware each time 
And uh, needless to say, uh, it was an experience that has stayed with me and helped me strengthen uh, my faith. And um, so with that story, I, of course, passed on. Now, there was one other interesting... Okay, that's, I just want to say that that's, that's an incredible story. Well, there's actually a little sequel to this. Okay. One day, I was uh, thinking about all this, and it could, because it was the... 30th anniversary of my mother's passing oh my and I remembered this is the 30th because my daughter's birthday Robin is on the same day so when she, her birthday comes it reminds me and so I was reminded and I thought well I wonder you know I've got books and albums I haven't looked at in ever maybe I'm going to go and look and see if I can find a picture of my mother so I went to my album and as I was pulling up my baby album a slip of paper fell out I reached down, and it was the sermon preached by the Lutheran minister at my mother's funeral. And it was interesting because he said something to this effect. He said, we're gathered together to bid farewell to our sister, Harriet. And we ask ourselves, why would God take a mother from these two boys uh, when they would, obviously they need her so much at this time. And he says, you know, we really don't know why God does what he does. But, you know, maybe 20, maybe 30, maybe 50 years from now, we'll know the answer to this question. And I about dropped the paper because on the 20th anniversary, and now here I am sitting on the 30th and I'm reading this. And uh, uh, it was just another confirmation. Of course, on the 50th anniversary of my mother's passing, I gathered all of my family together and I have... Altogether, I have 16 grandchildren and, oh my and five children. But all that were present came to my house, and I told the story again. Many of them had heard it, but I wanted them to know that, that she's looking out for all of us, mm. that God has somehow blessed us with this grandmother who loves us mm. and is used by God to assist us in whatever way. I said, I don't know how this really works, all I know is somehow it's affected my life. So mm. it's now passed on to future generations, that story wonderful. and its impact. What a wonderful story. I hope you enjoyed that story from Ray Estes, a Baha'i from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. If you want information on the Baha'i faith specifically, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org. That's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G. Or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
beating on your door I know that I'm a prisoner to all my father held so dear I know that I'm a hostage to all his hopes and fears I just wish I could have told him in the living years Oh, crumpled bits of paper I'm afraid that's all we've got You say you just don't see it He says it's perfect sense You just can't get agreement In this present tense We all talk a different language Talking in defense
Oh, 
Held bondage by our isms. When will the 
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.